Welcome to the audio channel of Dr. Sadaf. Preach Christ, teach the Bible, make disciples. So one of the things that characterizes a good race is how you run or what you do when you show up to the race. Because there are many people who may not show up. There are some people who may show up, but they may not run. And there are other people who may have been running for a very, very long time in a physical sense, but mentally and spiritually, they may have checked out a long time ago. And as a result, they're engaged in rituals and routines, but they're no longer, their heart's no longer in it. So as a result, you may be physically in the race, but in reality, they're not heading in any specific direction. So I'll give you an example. There are some days I do not feel like running. I get up and I'm cranky. That's just my DNA, so that's just how I'm made. I don't want to pray. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to give my wife a kiss in the cheek. If my son cries, I poke her and I just put the cover over my head. I don't want to run. That's just me. I get in my car, I drive to work, someone cuts me off. I don't want to turn the other cheek. I want to cut them off, get out of my car, and let them know how I feel. That's reality. So the question then becomes, what can, so that clearly is a bad race, right? So the question then becomes, what can Philippians 3 tell us about what a good race is? And in order to understand what a good race is, we have to understand the context in which these verses were written. It was written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Philippi at the end of his life. He had about four or five years left before he was going to be executed. And throughout his life, he ran a really good race. So he was a good runner. He saw people who didn't run, he saw people who refused to run, and he saw people who were excellent racing athletes. So he knows what to look for. And he writes to this church with a, a yearning or a longing, as a father looks at his son and sees the potential in him, into what he can do. Because he knows that in seeing that potential in people who can run a good race, he has to nurture it and encourage them. And the reason why he had to encourage them is that Philippi back then is just like New York City now. Philippi was a little Rome, which means on their way to church every Sunday, worshipers in Philippi would pass by temples to Apollo and Aphrodite. They would see retired Roman soldiers who couldn't be bothered with the church thing. Just as we, when we go to work and come to church, there are innumerable distractions which say, don't bother, just say home. So Paul says things like in Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you, I have in my heart, you are all partakers of grace with me, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul, like a loving father, sees potential and encourages the ones he knows can run well. But although Paul, Paul wrote these words, 
the words are really God's. And you and I and everyone listening are the loving children that God cares for. And God is speaking to all of humanity through Philippians 3 because he sees the potential in us. And if the one who made you sees the potential in you, everyone hearing these words is capable of running a fantastic race. Which brings me to my first point. Run a good race for Jesus. Run a good race for Jesus. So Jesus is the sponsor of our race. So on our running jerseys, it says J-E-S-U-S across our chest. And it's Jesus's atoning sacrifice on the cross that opened up the running lanes from us here on earth to the Father in heaven. And because Jesus sponsors our race, that changes the rules by which we run the race. Because you could run a good race, but if the last two words of the sentence aren't for Jesus, you're going to be striving or seeking for things which would not be a good race in the context of your spiritual walk. I think it's really, really plain. By show of hands, who can tell me who Usain Bolt is? Raise your hand. Good, hands down. By show of hands, who can tell me who Shanahan Sanatoa is? Exactly. Everyone knows, or mostly everyone knows, who Usain Bolt is. He is the fastest man in the history of human existence. He currently holds the world record in three specific events, but the one he's most famous for is the men's 100 meters in which he ran in under 10 seconds in the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Everything about Usain Bolt says, he ran a good race. He has a swagger. He has the golden shoes and he does the... He's bolting, right? Everyone loves the bolting. They call him the lightning bolt because he has that charisma about him. And the reason why he's so celebrated is that he got to the finish line the first in the best time and he beats everyone else. Shanahan Sanatoa actually ran in the first heat in the 2008 Beijing Olympics. And of all the men who ran in that competition, he had the slowest time, just over 12 seconds. So according to a worldly athletic standard, the one who ran the best race was Usain Bolt. He got all the medals, the accolades, sponsorships, and everyone knows about it. But although Shanahan Sanatoa ran 100 meters in just over 12 seconds, he still ran a good race. As a matter of fact, every man that ran in the 100 meters 2008 ran a good race because compared to the rest of humanity, they're pretty fast. They're probably faster than 99% of everyone in the world. And this is the point. If you use a worldly standard to judge 
how you run a good race, you're not going to get good race results for Jesus. Because guess what? Usain Bolt got to the finish line real fast. But guess who he crossed over with? Nobody. He was by himself because he didn't bring anyone with him. He ran a whole bunch of gold medals, but in a spiritual race, when you cross the line from what is natural to what is spiritual, can you take your gold medals with you? The answer is no. Can you take your money with you? No. Can you take your fame with you? You can't. So when you're running a good race for Jesus, and he is the sponsor of your race, the rules change, and you have to abandon all the glamour and glitz other races strive for. Because what does Paul tell us about Jesus in Philippians 2? He writes, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Christ Jesus did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. And so he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And so God highly exalted him. So in any other race, other rules would say, get to the finish line as fast as you can. But in a race for Jesus, guess what? Your time doesn't matter. You could take 10 seconds. You could take 10 years. The only strategy is to cross the finish line. And when you do cross the finish line, you should make sure you're not the only one there. You should bring other people with you. Why? Because Jesus is our sponsor, and he emptied himself for the sake of others. Second point, in any other kind of a race, competition means if you are in first place, you beat out everyone else. So everyone else is a competition. So if they stumble or fall, that's good for you so you can get a gold medal. Because here's what happens in Christianity. We'll run a good race, and we'll look at other people and say, well, you know what? At least I'm not falling down like them. At least I'm not getting into the same situations as them. But when you're running a good race for Jesus, what happens? You're running, and you see someone less fortunate than you. Than, than you. you see someone on trips. You know what you do? You stop running. You stop running, and you extend a hand and say, come, brother and sister, follow me. Why? Because Jesus is our sponsor, and he emptied himself for the sake of all of us. And look at the beauty of that. If you begin not focusing on yourself but on others, you're going to bring them to the finish line with you. It'll be your wife. It'll be your friends. It'll be your family. It'll be your children. You know what? When you run a good race for Jesus, guess who cross over is with you? Everyone you help to pick up. So the gold medals doesn't matter. Your time doesn't matter. The fame doesn't matter. But if you empty yourself for the sake of others, that does matter. And here's the thing. Philippians 2 tells us that after Jesus emptied himself for us, God filled him back up. So you may be saying, I can't afford to empty myself for the sake of others. And my response is, you can't afford not to. Because if you empty everything out, God's going to keep on refilling you. You're going to go to the spiritual water fountain, and he's going to fill you up, and it's going to spill over each and every time. And you give and give and give and give. And as a result, you now would have built up gold medals and fame in heaven, which you will see upon crossing the finish line.
So here's a very, very important question to ascertain if we are running a good race. What one thing are we doing in our life to bring others closer to Christ? And the follow-up to that is, how are we emptying ourselves for sake of others? We could be emptying time. We could be emptying money. We could be emptying the thing we value the most highly. But in order to run a good race, we have to recognize the rules have now changed. And we are running a good race for Jesus, our sponsor. Second point. Running a good race means running life. Running a good race means running life. So back in Paul's day, there was no yoga, there was no Pilates, there was no World Wrestling Federation, there was no MMA octagon, there was none of that. So running at the time was the most physically demanding activity he could have thought of. It was very, very hard because it's an unrelaxed, demanding posture. They're straining, pressing, pushing, burning, muscle aching, and heart pounding. So because running is so demanding, we have to eliminate all those weights or barriers that will keep us down have to cut the weight or shed the weight. So when we're running a race, the target at the finish line becomes our object of worship. And worship has two parts, glory and sacrifice. As in, if you worship Jesus, you're going to sacrifice things for Jesus and glorify him. But glory actually means weight. It's the heaviness of things. So if you, for example, were in a, in a race, and the end result of that race was wealth, you're now going to put glory into money and sacrifice things like health and family for the end of that race. So if you engage yourself in a race like that, you're going to carry this weight or glory or heaviness that prevents you from running lights for Jesus. And the beauty of running a good race for Jesus is that the only thing you need is at the very end. So nothing that you can bring or tack on to your person ends up having any eternal value because the prize is given to you upon crossing a finish line. But here's a tricky point. In our Christian walk, we often think that we have to dump all the stuff that's bothersome or bad to us. We let go of addictions and bad ways of thinking, things that are uncostly. But when we run a good race for Jesus, we actually have to end up dumping things that are very, very valuable to us, things that are very, very weighty and therefore have a lot of glory. Paul, for example, is the one who wrote our theme verse in Philippians. 
he was writing these verses imprisoned to the church in Philippi. Look what he had to give up. All he had to do was say, you know what, Jesus, I give up on you. He would have went back to his old way of life, being a highly educated, highly renowned, likely very wealthy person, doing what Pharisees did back then, teaching the Jewish law. That actually is very valuable. So imagine yourself right now being offered a position where you make half a million dollars a year. You're going to be CEO of a company and be in charge of a mega corporation. And then you, you then say, you know what? That to me is not valuable. What I'd rather do instead is run a good race for Jesus. That's what giving up things of value actually means. You no longer put glory into things of this world, but put your glory into the race for Jesus. Which is why in Philippians 3.8, the Apostle Paul writes, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Because Paul realized that glorifying anything else that was not God would be a weight that would weigh him down and prevent him from running life. I'll give you an example. Five years ago, my wife and I traveled to China. Now, my wife, the loving wife that she is, she wanted to travel prepared. She wanted to bring four or five suitcases and outfits and shoes. And, and I told her, we're going to be traveling to the other side of the world, and we're going to take about four or five flights in China itself. So I said, all we can bring is one carry-on each for two weeks. And you look at me like I'm crazy. Well, that's why they made vacuum-sealed bags. It works. So we get to China, and we're going to scale the Great Wall in Beijing. I told my wife, this may be the last time we are in the Great Wall. We're going to go to the most treacherous part of the wall, and we're going to conquer it. We set a goal. We're going to do it. No failure. Let's go. Team Sadafel, hoorah, right? So I bring myself. My shirt, my shorts, my shoes, that is it. Pockets empty. I'm ready to go. Had a banana, had a protein shake, did some push-ups, like raring to go. And people don't realize this. There are parts of the great, most of the Great Wall is very, very treacherous. It's windy and it's very hilly. So you're going up, it's almost vertical, and the steps are real small. So a guy like me who's 6'3", I have to go up sideways. Because unless you have a size two foot, you can't go up straight. So we're getting ready, right? I'm just blasting up the steps. I have nothing on me. So I was going real light. But my wife, she prepared in advance. She had a big bag. She had first aid kit, heels, parachute, radio, flashlight. I'm like, we don't need all that. So quickly became true 
that as we were going up, I could very easily move up because I was running light. But she couldn't because the weight of her bag kept her, it kept her heavy. So she had a hard time pushing up. So the first thing she threw out of her bag was the stuff she considered invaluable, things easily replaceable, like chapstick, tissues, napkins, whatever. But the farther up she went and the harder the race got, she realized she had to let go of everything in her bag. She had to let go of her wallet. She had to let go of the expensive shoes she brought or anything else she considered to be of value. And it is then and only then when she dropped all the weights, everything she considered to be dear to her, and she let it go. Then we could go up light together and conquer the Great Wall of China. And that is the most figurative point I can make about our walk. In order to push up and scale the heights God wants us to scale, we have to let go of every thing in this world that gives us security or confidence that is not Jesus. Last point. In a good race, one plus one equals one. In a good race, one plus one equals one. So here's what Paul says. He says, I focus on this one thing. But that one thing is actually two things. The one thing is forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. So the one thing he's focusing on, they're mutually, exclusive, they're mutually inclusive. So you have to forget the past and look forward to make forward progress. So the one thing equals forgetting the past and looking forward. So a very simple formula we can use is making progress equals future fixation plus a past liberation. Again, making progress equals a future fixation plus a past liberation. Because throughout the entire narrative of the Bible, what God never does is change what happened. But he always gives a promise for a future that is so much better than what was or your present reality. The past is supposed to push us forward while the future pulls us ahead. But the problem most of us have, and I often have, is that I will look back at the past and reminisce. I'll say, those were the good old days. Life was so much easier back then. Why? Because the past is predictable, and it gives us certainty. There's no risk. But the future is highly uncertain and actually requires bold, brazen faith. It's like getting on a treadmill. You could get on that treadmill ramp up the incline all the way, put it on level 10, and just blaze forward at Usain Bolt speed. But no matter how, how hard you try, you're not going to make any forward progress. You're going to stay in the same exact spot. Because although you may be looking forward, you have focus or energy that's always looking back as well. So you're not going to go anywhere. 
Another way of saying this. Making progress equals forgiveness and forgetness. And yes, forgetness is a word. Forgiveness means looking back and liberating yourself from all of the crutches or gripes you have against other people. It means going up to someone and telling them, I forgive you and moving on. Because it's very interesting to consider, if you fail to forgive someone and allow their judgment to be in God's hands, they actually have control over you. They are a weight which now keeps you latched on to what was. Forgetness, or the second part of that equation, means not allowing the past to taint your future. Because without this forgetness, you remember limits. And when you remember limits, you lose motivation. Someone who does not have a forgetness of the past says things like, we tried that before, it didn't work. Oh, I know that person, they're no good. Or we can't do it right now, there are not enough resources. Forgetness means not allowing others to taint the future. Because if you don't have this forgetness, you remember the naysayers. And as a result, you lose confidence. So you may be running the race, but you look at someone else who may be leaner or in better shape or is moving faster than you are. And you listen to other people on the sidelines who say, you're no good, you can't do it. And as a result, you allow someone else to affect your confidence, and you no longer have the zeal or passion to move forward. Forgetness means not allowing circumstances to taint the future. Lacking this forgetness makes you remember disappointments, and as a result, you lose hope. This is likely the most dangerous component of forgetness to embrace, because there are many, many talented people, especially in the church, who have gifts and are using those gifts. But if in them executing their gifts, the reality in which they're living in doesn't match their expectations, they'll become discouraged. And from that discouragement, they'll lose hope. So you have people with potential to change the world who can no longer envision a future that's worthwhile, and they give up. So they may still run the race, but their heart and mind have long since gone. Now, if you notice, all of the barriers I talked about are external. They're outside. And the antidote to all of these barriers is going to be vision and purpose. Purpose is what keeps you running. Vision is what keeps you fixated on the finish line that's ahead. And the ultimate formula is that making progress equals you plus God. Because as you empty yourself and allow yourself to be filled by God and to push you forward with vision and purpose, you will no longer be deterred by lack of motivation, confidence, or hope. And when you empty yourself, 
and allow yourself to be filled by God, look what happens. Forgetness of the past tells you what you start with is not what you end up with. Forgetness of others tells you nothing created determines what you can do. And forgetness of circumstances tells you the road to resurrection always goes through death. This is why when I'm confronted with people who are labeled slackers, or they're unmotivated, or they're not worthwhile, I never look for behavior change. Because someone who is quote-unquote unmotivated is actually motivated to do nothing. What they actually lack is vision and purpose. They haven't plugged God into that last formula, who can therefore show them what their vision and purpose are. And once they do have that vision and purpose, they will now have that one thing in their sights to bring others close to Jesus and keep them running in the right direction. So in conclusion, the last part of our theme verse says, I press on to reach the end of the race, and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling. So Jesus is calling in the present tense. And the call goes out to many, but few will answer his call. And when Christ calls us to race, he doesn't call us to stop or to say, I quit. Because as he endured many atrocities on the cross, he could have thrown in the towel and given up, but he didn't. And when his race is over, he said, it is finished. And it is that it is finished which set us all free to run a good race for him. And when he calls you to finish, we must acknowledge that we are all now living in a world burdened by despair, because many have become fooled by the idea that no fresh possibilities are left. There is no hope for something better and no positive expectations for the future. These are people who have stopped running a good race because all they're used to is darkness. And that darkness is so powerful that it tells someone that the way to a better life is to walk into a house of God and to take life. The only way to dispel the darkness is to run a good race in the light, sponsored by the one who is the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And in many instances, you running a good race is the only form of evangelism or testimony you would need to give to anyone else in this world, because they want to run just like you. The question I will leave you with today is can you remove yourself from all the fruitless races the modern world says are worthwhile and have the audacity and imagination to run a good race for Jesus? This is a race with a prize worth dying for. So let us all listen to the voice of the one calling us, press on and reach forward to possess the perfection for which he first possessed us. God bless. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Dr. Sadafo. 
For more valuable information and resources, please visit chesadafal.com.